We're going to be talking about this thing called self-control. And I, t I tell you what is good about We are actually ending the series on spiritual fruit, uh, spiritual maturity, spiritual fruit. And these nine qualities that we're finding in the fruit of the Spirit can be learned as, in, as each trait. And I think for all of us, as we've been here through the different weeks, it's like one or two of them really hit home. And there are a couple of them we're thinking, boy, I didn't know I needed to work on that. So tonight, this last one, which is pretty interesting that the Bible would conclude with this last one called self-control, it's almost like it wraps up every other quality of the fruit of the Spirit. It's like the ending of the movie, the ending of the show that wraps everything up. Paul the Apostle is actually speaking to the church in Galatia, and he's giving them, this is what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. And it's found in Galatians 5.22. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, and we're going to be there tonight, Galatians 5.22. And if you do have your church app, you can open that up, and you have the notes in there, and then you can take notes and follow along. But the fruit of the Spirit begins like this in Galatians 5.22. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then it says, against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So just think of those two words, the passions and desires, because we're made up of that when we're going to make a decision. And then it ends with, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. It's interesting that when the Bible says we, we have to be careful that we don't become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another, it's really talking about the heart of a person because that's where it all comes from. Out of the heart, all of these things come from. And so when it comes to self-control, sometimes we think of self-control in the sense of I got to hold, hold it together. I got I to I have self-control. I got to keep it together. In fact, when Heidi and I first met, some of you know this story, but I was, I was 12 years old, she was 13, and my school, my intermediate school, was invited to her intermediate school for this dance. So we got there, and Heidi was already checking me out when I got in there, which she told me this already, so that's just her side. She probably can clarify it better. Uh, but I got in there, and so she, was already, she already saw me, and my friend wanted to slam dance. Now, I wasn't, that wasn't my thing, but he did that, and he accidentally hit Heidi, and so Heidi said, the next person who hits me, I'm going to pound them out. That was her BC days yeah, before coffee. And so when, <laughs> when she saw me again, she got hit by my friend by accident again. But she grabbed me because it was dark. She grabbed me by accident, and then she exchanged some words with me. Not really exchanged. She just told me straight up, you know, what do you think you're doing with a little you know, BC word in there, and so she said that to me, and then she was going to punch me, and at that time, she was taller than me, so I'm looking up at this girl, and she's looking down at me, and I thought, oh my goodness, this is, this is a done deal, so she pushes me away, she walks to her friend, she walks away, she goes, that was the guy, that was the guy, so uh, she comes back to me, and she, <laughs> she sees me, I see her, and I'm thinking, oh, I, I got to get ready, because if this if this chick like troll blows, that's the, you know, the term. And uh, I said, I'm going to be ready. So she comes back, and she comes close to me, and I'm thinking, what is she going to do? And she says this. She goes, I am so sorry I thought you were someone else. 
would you like to dance? Now I'm thinking, this is, first of all, this, this chick like beat you up and then asked you to dance. Do you have an option? Like, what? Wh so, so I said, sure, and, then, and that's how we met. And I thought, is that self-control? Because at first she wants to beat me up, now she wants to dance, now we're married. Is that, is that self-control? Because sometimes we think self-control is, is just when tempers flare up, I, I got to hold it together. I, I have to push, push the, or, or suppress my feelings, my emotions. Or when you see something not, not going well or an injustice that, oh, I have to, I have, have self-control. Otherwise, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lash out on someone. What does self-control look like? When my mom was coming home from, I think it was a, a lunch or something. I know she went food shopping. She came home, and my brother and I were fighting about something, and she came in the house, and she's holding this grocery bag. And as we're grumbling and fighting, she's trying to stop us. We didn't listen to her. Finally, she pulls out of the grocery bag a, a, a bread, a loaf of bread, and she's hitting us with the loaf of bread and yelling at us with the loaf of bread because moms, right, the first thing, I mean, whatever's closest, that's your weapon, so whatever you can grab, that's, she grabbed the loaf of bread, and she's hitting us with the loaf of bread. Now, my brother and I start cracking up laughing because bread is flying over the plate, all over the place, and it doesn't hurt. I mean, the whole purpose of giving someone lickens is that it's supposed to have some type of pain. So we're cracking up laughing, and she gets even more upset, losing self-control, and starts to threaten us with being grounded. Now, we're laughing, cracking up, until the next day she served us that bread for toast. And I'm thinking, was that self-control? Is self-control, you, you lose it, and then you're, you're calm. Is self-control where you're driving, someone cuts you off, and you, you take it easy. What, what is self-control? Because self-control, if not correctly defined, will not bear fruit. In fact, if we don't exercise self-control, we actually kill the vine that is going to bear fruit. And so the question is, how do we determine what is the fruit of the Spirit, and how do we even develop that if that's one of the traits of this fruit of the Spirit that Paul the Apostle lays out. Now, some of us have bad memories because someone could not exercise self-control. And because they could not exercise self-control, we have some scars in our minds and in our hearts. We, we got affected and our emotions got affected. Our thinking capacity got affected. Our lifestyle got affected. And some of us are still battling with someone's lack of self-control years and sometimes even decades ago. And so if you're battling with someone else, not being able to exercise self-control, how do you even clear that up? Because you can't control someone else. But the fruit of the Spirit, as the Bible says, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So even though someone else may have not been able to exercise self-control, there's still goodness that can come out of it, and God can bear fruit. Galatians 5.22 gives us this list. And although the fruit of the Spirit includes these nine qualities, they're not, they're not separate from each other, yet you can learn each trait. The trait is a, is a distinguishing quality or characteristic typically belonging to a person. So you can, you can own the fruit of the Spirit, especially in these nine traits, and self-control. Yeah, but I, I don't... I don't, I don't 
I'm not a person who is able to control my temper. Let's, let's come from another perspective for a moment. Let's just put aside emotions for a little while when it comes to self-control, and let's look at it from another angle. Because we have the power to think. God gave us a mind that is so powerful, which can be thought of as the greatest gift of all, or it can be the greatest curse of all, depending on what angle you're going to come from. Self is something we all must deal with. It's always there. Self will always stare us in the face, and self-control is not necessarily the obvious of trying to control your personhood. It's, it's controlling the self, the self in which we tend to be selfish and not think about others. It's the self. It's not about just my character and trying to behave differently in spite of it. It is trying to bring my character under the submission of Jesus, who is the most selfless. It cannot just be a character behavior pattern or some type of temperament that we have. And usually we think of self-control as controlling my, tem my temper, or our, our eating habits, like, oh, I got to control, I got to have self-control because that looks super good. I got self-control. And we think of it in that way. Or maybe sarcasm. We try to have self-control. When someone says something and you have such a quick, witty word to go back, you kind of, you bite your tongue, like, and everybody looks at you like, what? Like, no, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. Okay, I'm going to say it. And then you say it anyway. That's not, it can be a part of self-control, but we think that's it, that that's what self-control looks like. Or maybe we think self-control is just our reaction. But really, these are just symptoms of a lack of self-control because these are results of what is in the heart. Self-control is not just about the end result, it's about what's going on in the heart. And if we wait to apply self-control when a situation arises, that's too late. It has to be manifested in our lives prior to whatever situation would come our way. Otherwise, it's not self-control at its best. It's just a behavioral modification for the moment. And we want to have self-control. Self-control must always start within. It's the thoughts and it's the heart. In other words, it's controlling the self. That's why Proverbs 23, verse 7 says it like this, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. It makes a difference what you think in your heart, what's in your heart and what you're thinking in your mind. Because to think is to shape the character and conduct of a person. So our thoughts make a big difference. And if you really want to know where you fare in the area of self, now this is, just an, this is just a quick test, okay? This is not the test, but just a quick test. Like, where am I with self? Like, how much I think about self? Just go to your Instagram posts. Now, it's not in a negative connotation. It's just, just go to your Instagram posts and just flip through it and see how much is about self and how much is it about other people. Or how much is it of other people, including yourself, so it doesn't look like it's about myself? Just think of it that way. What are some things that we can look at that would say, boy, yeah, I, I have not thought about it this way, but self slowly crept in, and I didn't even know it. Sometimes in a conversation, you're with a group of people, and you're talking, who talks the most? And what are they talking about? When someone gives a story, does theirs have to be better? That's like me in these stories because I, I have a lot of self in me. That's why I think this message for anybody else, I think I need to be in line first because I have a lot of self to deal with. 
And I think because I have a lot of self to deal with, God says, then I'm going to teach you some things, and we're going to learn this together. So tonight, can we be family? Let's learn this together, self-control. And but whatever we think about really is going to crowd our mind. And it's going to determine the actions thereafter, especially if it's deeply embedded in your heart. Because out of the heart flow the issues of life. And if you want your life shaped in such a way, then the way we think is very important. It is said that our brains have over 100 trillion neuron uh, synapses. We have 100 billion neurons, but all the synapses that are taking place, the different information that is uh, taking place in our brain, 100 trillion. That's 1,000 times more stars than we have in our galaxy happening in our brain. Maybe for some of us a little bit less, but most of the time, it's about 100 trillion just going away. And we're, we're, it's constantly zipping and zapping. We're constantly thinking. Like some of us are such thinkers, we can think while someone is talking to us and not even pay attention. And then when they ask us, well, what, what did I just say? We just make something up. We try our very best to think what they're saying, but we can't. Why? Because our, our, our brains are constantly thinking. We can't sleep. Why? Because our brains are constantly thinking. This is why we meditate on the Word of God. Did you know that meditation, whatever you're meditating on, that quiet time, that stillness, actually does something to your brain? Now, I read this, and it's talking about the prefrontal cortex when we meditate, especially when, it's, when we're just getting started with the meditation process or, or just thinking things through. There's a, a part of our prefrontal cortex, the frontal lobe of our brain, called the me center. Because that part helps us to determine if we're going to run. It's a, it's a fight or flight kind of syndrome. If we're going to run or if we're going to stay and fight. And that needs to be there because otherwise how would we know what to do in a given situation? So the prefrontal cortex is a part of the brain located at the front of the frontal lobe. And it is implicated in a variety of complex behaviors, including planning and greatly contributes to personality development. So this means that we don't react as strongly to sensations that might have once lit up in our me centers while we're meditating. It kind of clears it up. So it's, there's not much activity going on when we're meditating. It kind of clears it up. And as we weaken this connection, as all those connections are weakening because we're meditating, we simultaneously strengthen the connection between what's known as our assessment center, the part of the brain that is for reasoning. And then our bodily sensation and fear centers also become heightened. So when we experience scary or upsetting situations, then we can more easily look at them rationally rather than making irrational decisions based on impulse or based on fear. So when you're meditating, basically what happens is it clears the prefrontal cortex and strengthens the other areas. So you're not easily fearful. You don't easily succumb to fear. So whenever you, you have anxiety, that's the prefrontal cortex working like crazy. And so if you want to, that's why you say, just calm down. Mom, calm down. Take it easy. It's like, what, what do we say to each other? Just breathe. Like, just breathe. Why are we doing that? Because as we calm down, that prefrontal cortex starts to clear away, and then the other parts of the brain can become stronger. Now, when it comes to self-control, that prefrontal cortex is very important because however we think and whatever we're thinking, whatever's in the heart, is going to determine the direction that we're going to go after that. 
The Bible says it like this in Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Now, why the heart? Well, the heart is known as the seat of your emotions. It's the inner man, the mind, the will, the understanding. It's a conscience. The mind, the mind and heart are so closely related. It is said that the difference between your brain, your mind, and your heart is only about 18 inches. And that's it. It's so closely related. Proverbs 21 verse 2 says that every man's way is right in his own eyes. But the Lord weighs the heart. That word weighs actually means to be adjusted to the standard. In other words, God is saying, there's a standard that I want you to live by. And I'm going to determine if you're living by that standard with your heart. Not going to be by your actions because anyone can fake actions. But that's not what I look at. I look at your heart. Therefore, self-control is going to be a control of the self, starting with the heart and the mind. And if you think about self-control, self needs to be controlled. Self left to self leads to self-destruction. It, it's it's the, the natural default. It's like a nuclear power plant left by itself. Eventually, it'll erode and then bring destruction and we're sometimes like a, like a nuclear power plant that there's so much energy and so much potential, yet if not controlled, it explodes and ruins everything around the area. Yeah, life would be easy if we knew what we were thinking all the time, if we could control the thoughts quickly. But we're not always thinking correctly. Therefore, our thoughts control our actions. It's like uh, if you watch commercials all the time, have you ever noticed they play the same commercials over and over? They don't play it just one time. They play it over and over and over. Why do they do that? Because they're trying to feed your thoughts. And if our neurons in our brain can keep being fed that, it's going to develop its own supernatural highway, and then it's, or, or superhighway, and then it's going to continue to do that. And while you're sleeping, you're thinking of Burger King shakes. You're thinking of... Hawaiian-style cafe tomorrow morning, and you're, you're thinking of triple cone ice cream from Brain Freeze, Mac Nut, Mac Nut Crunch, Banana Mac Nut Crunch, Waffle Cone, take pictures, send them to all my friends, because that's what I do. And then you, you wake up craving. Some of you will go home tonight because you were craving something, and you're going to eat that. You might have been craving something for like a month. And then finally you go there and you're like, finally, I was craving this for so long. Some of you crave certain foods and you stay away from it because you're practicing self-control. And you're thinking, oh, I'm, I'm, no, I'm going to control myself. I'm going to control. Eventually, you're going to break down. Why? Because you're thinking about it. You say, no, I'm not going to eat that. I'm not going to eat that. No, stay away from that. No, not that donut. Not that donut. Not that donut. Not that, that this donut then. And maybe two weeks go by. Why? Because you're constantly thinking about it. We think we're not thinking about it by not thinking about it. That's how powerful the mind is. That's how powerful this, this aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is, self-control. See, the fruit of the Spirit helps us with the control of self. The fruit of myself is self-destruction. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. See, the fruit of self fruit of self, the byproduct of self is self-destruction. That's why we need the fruit of the Spirit so that we can have self-control, not self-destruction. Circumstance 
is never the driving force behind self-control. It may set it up, but it is the thoughts that lie within that determine what one will do with self. And if you're thinking negative thoughts about a person, just thinking negative thoughts, and you have not even met them. Let's just say someone talked to you and said, oh, man, you got to meet this new person at work. My goodness, the person is lazy. This person doesn't want what they're doing. Guess what kind of eyes you're going to see when they come in? Yeah, lazy person. They don't know what they're doing. And then when they make a mistake, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, they don't even know what they're doing. They didn't even know how to one pencil. And you're thinking in that way. Why? Because someone already fed your thoughts. So you're already thinking negative thoughts. So the question is then, is it possible to have control of self? Well, of course, the answer is absolutely. Why? Because the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. It may take a while. It may take some, some practice. But it's possible for us to develop the fruit of the Spirit. Because when an idea comes in, that's, it, it doesn't just give birth to an action. But when an idea comes in, now, now you have an image of what is possible. And then the ideal, which means, oh, it sounds great. It's desirable. You want to you wanna follow something. You want to uh, follow a dream. You want to you wanna make something. You want to create something. So you have this in your mind. But even if the desire for what you have as an idea doesn't come to pass, even though you might think, well, I didn't even, I didn't even follow through with it, positive or negative, it's still going to have an effect on us. Why? Because it's still in the brain. It's still in the imagination. If you're constantly thinking about it, and the cycle continues over and over, if we're constantly thinking about it, that's why the Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 12 that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. It all has to do with the thought process. And if the cycle continues over and over, and and we don't correct it, and self takes over, then we self-destruct. And the self destructs. Life falls apart, marriage breaks down, we make poor financial decisions. You, you may even make a permanent decision that cost you more than you were willing to pay. We say it like this, that, that sin will always give you what you want, but it will always cost you more than you were willing to pay. And we don't think about it that way, but it's not just in the major things, it's also in the little things that we may not think about, the way we treat someone. It still affects everyone around us when we have a lack of the control of the self. It affects people around us. We take offense. We take offense to what people say. It drives every decision. And if we're not careful, it's going to turn into bitterness. And then lying becomes a lifestyle. Drugs become an option. Sex becomes perverted and then is performed outside of biblical marriage. That's the lack of self-control. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is self control there, there it's possible because life doesn't shape you your reactions to it does therefore if i don't if i'm not able to have self control then my life is going to become whatever i react to and we can all develop this trait of self control by living out these three fundamental actions here's the first one and it's very simple We're going to do three simple things tonight. The first one is that it starts with you and Jesus. Very simple. Starts with you and Jesus. Now, why does it start with you and Jesus? Why is it Jesus and I? Well, because without him, there is no connection to the spirit of God. If the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, all the way to self-control, and we don't have Jesus in us, then how do we connect to the spirit? 
We need Jesus. Why? Well, here it is in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. It says, I urge you then, and this is Paul the apostle speaking to a younger man by the name of Timothy who was growing up under his leadership. He says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness, which means you're set apart for God. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator, so remember that word, mediator, between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself up as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at witness to at the proper time in other words jesus being our mediator connects us to the spirit that is able to bear this fruit which comes to self-control without jesus we, we cannot have the control of self why because satan is a headhunter, and our mind is his battlefield and our imagination is his trophy he's a headhunter. Our mind is his battlefield. And our imagination is his trophy. If he can get our imagination, if he, can, if he can cause us to think about what he wants us to think about, he's got us. It's the imagination. There's a man by the name of Walt Disney, and, and I know you know about Walt Disney and, and Disneyland, but that was the, the key factor in him changing the way amusement parks were to be made. And not just amusement parks, but, but story. It all had to do with imagination. And when you have someone with imagination, all things are possible. Now, when Jesus becomes our mediator, then he takes over our imagination because we're now made in his image. Did you catch that? That's where we get imagination from. So we're made in his imagination. He thought us up. So when we connect with him, we become what he imagined for us. And the only way we can imagine who we are supposed to be is to connect to the one who imagined us in who we could be. So now we follow him. Now we start with Jesus. And now our imagination can probably give us a better accurate reading of the dreams and desires that God has for us. That's why Psalm 34, 7 says that when you, when you desire certain things and when you have these passions that when you delight yourself in the Lord, he's going to give you your passions and desires. Why? Because you're delighting in him. See, in the beginning, if we just have passions and desires left alone, self-destruct, but if we delight in the Lord, then he will give us the desires of our heart. Why? Because now when we're delighting in him, our desires are actually his desires because he's, he's changing the way we think. And if he can change the way we think, now we're moving in the right direction. Now there is control of the self. Now when it comes to the way we think and the way we imagine things, we're going to go through disappointments. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to have some, some flaws in us and we're going to have some sin. But even if you, if you fail, there, there's going to be a trace of, 
of bad thoughts, memories, uh, even, even the emotional feelings of, boy, I made a mistake, I blew it, that can never be forgotten. You know how we say forgive and forget? Yeah, we can forgive, but it's very difficult to forget because there's a trace, a trail of all that has taken place. Now, yeah, we may not forget, but when we're healed, it doesn't hurt anymore. Or at least it doesn't hurt as bad as it was. Why? Because there was healing that took place. Why? Because Jesus brought in his imagination and who we could be and who we're becoming versus who we were and what happened to us. And it all starts with us and Jesus. We need Jesus to come into us so that he can control the self. And he knows the self of us more than anybody else. That's why in John chapter 10, verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That's how good he is. And when you start with him, Jesus will actually lay down his life so that we could have one. That's our mediator. It was Peter, one of Christ's disciples, who asked Jesus, he said, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. And Peter said, well, Lord, why can't I follow you now? Listen to what Peter says. He says, I will lay down my life for you. Peter says this to Jesus. Jesus answers him. He says, you know, will you really lay down your life for me? And then he tells Peter some gripping revelation. He says, you know, very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Now, I'm sure that stung Peter. I'm sure that hurt his heart. Why? Because Peter felt like, no, I'm, I'm going to be able to, I'm going to lay down my life for you. But Jesus was saying, Peter, that's, you have no control of self right now. Because you haven't given your entire life to me, therefore the Spirit has not begun in you. You cannot have self-control without the Spirit. And so we know that Peter did deny Jesus Christ. But then later on, Peter did come around, didn't he? Now, Peter came around because something took place. Now, what happened? Here's the second thing you can fill in, and we'll go to Peter right after this. But you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. So it starts with you and Jesus, but then you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It cannot just be, well, I said yes to Jesus and then I'm done. You've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit because when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit that controls yourself because self is no longer in control, the Holy Spirit is. Why? Because you're filled with it. If you're filled with energy, speed, and technique, you can run fast. If you're filled with pizza and out of shape, you don't. It's just that simple. Whatever you're filled with is going to determine your effectiveness. So if you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to be effective as the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of the self or the fruit of the flesh, the fruit of the Sheldon, it's the fruit of the Spirit. So it doesn't even belong to us. It's the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control. And whatever fills you up will determine your effectiveness. You're filled with the Spirit. You're going to be effective. Why? Because it's the Spirit that's bearing this fruit. In Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, this is where Peter becomes so effective. I'm going to read Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and then 12 through 15, and then verse 17. Then it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. 
Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. And he said, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. And then he quotes in the book of Joel, chapter 17, uh, excuse me, Acts 17, or Acts verse 17 in chapter 2. He says, in the last days, this is Peter quoting, says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Now, why is it vision and dreams important? Because it has to do with our imagination. You need the Holy Spirit to get a better imagination. Lest we drift and think on bad thoughts. Lest we drift and think of I'm not able to. Lest we drift and say God's not able to. Lest we drift and say how can I. Lest we drift and say but look at my past. Lest we drift and say but look at my situation. And, and the Holy Spirit says hold on, hold on, hold on. This is the day that we're talking about. That you're going to have visions and dreams. Why? Because I want your imagination back. That's what I want. I want your imagination. So what are some practical ways you can fill yourself with the Spirit? I'm going to give you maybe six, and you can think of some, and some of you might have more. But these are some that I, I use to connect with the Spirit of God, and it is through prayer. And it's not the prayer that, I, and I pray this, Lord, give me a parking stall. Lord, help me get my luggage. Lord, help the plane land. Help us get there safely. You know, things like that. But it's, it's more than that. It's, it's connecting with God your creator, Abba, Father. So prayer helps us to be filled with the Spirit. Devotions. It's reading the Bible. It fills us with his Spirit. Why? Because the Word of God is God-breathed. And when Jesus was with his disciples before even the day of Pentecost, he breathed on, him, on them. He gave them his, the Spirit. And then the third one is to worship. Worship is incredibly important. Now, we sing songs as a part of worship, but it's more than just singing songs. It's a lifestyle. And then church, gathering together. There's something, something takes place when we gather together as the saints, as the church, the called out ones. There, something takes place. Like when you see each other, especially if you haven't seen someone in a, in a while and then you reconnect, isn't that something? That there's just a connection. Why? Because you're the church. You're the body of Christ, the hope of the world, the light of the world. And so you, you, you're filled with the Spirit when we gather together, just as they were in Acts chapter 2. They were all together in one place, and the Holy Spirit came down. And then the, the last one is that you're, you're welcoming the Holy Spirit. You're, you're just saying, Holy Spirit, come into my heart. He's the guide unto all truth. So you're filled with the Spirit in these kinds of ways. And of course, it starts with you and Jesus. It starts with salvation. Because he's our mediator. And usually we ask the Holy Spirit to do something for us. But how often have we asked the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what can I do for you? 
Because if you ask the Holy Spirit, what can I do for you? Then he's going to give you a response and, and give you the will of God. Holy, Holy Spirit, what would, I'm praying right now for my marriage. What would you want me to do for you? I want you to love Heidi like Christ loved the church. I can do that. But you need to empower me for that because right now we're grumbling. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. Not right now, right now. It's just an illustration. We're good, right? Okay, just checking. But you're, you're asking the Holy Spirit, what can I do for you? Because that's the will of God. And these are just basic functions of connecting with God. But you need, to, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you afresh. And you can be anywhere. Just ask, Holy Spirit, fill me up. Fill me afresh. Now your flesh is going to fight, and you're going to see that battle. But let the Spirit win. And then the last thing, the third thing that we can learn together in having self-control is to learn self-awareness. Isn't this tough? Because it has to do with fighting against the self. Having self-awareness fights against the self. I, I was just talking to Heidi and I, I said, um, now I don't know if this is, this is bad or not, but I'll just, because we're family tonight and I deal with self a lot. So I'm actually probably confessing and at the same time need to repent. Oh, now it sounds juicy. Now you're leaning in like, what? What is it? Um, like I have a hard time when I'm in a quiet place and someone else is talking on the phone super loud. And, I, and, and I've, I've, I've even said this to myself. I said, I wonder what it would be like if I sat right next to them and spoke the same volume as them. What would happen? Like just, you know, there's a lot of people. It's quiet. It's like, yeah, how you guys doing? It's good. Oh, yeah, my brother guy. Oh, my goodness. Oh, it was crazy the other day. Oh, yeah, yeah. And real loud. And I'm thinking, how can they not know? How can they not know? So this is what I'm thinking. And, and of course, the Lord will say, maybe they have a hard time hearing. Maybe, maybe they have to talk loud because of the other person. You know, there's always a reason. But it's just me and myself. Like, I got to deal with that. And I don't see it. I don't, sometimes I, maybe I'm on the phone once in a while and I'm talking out and no one tells me. Why? Because we lack self-awareness. We just don't know. Self-awareness is probably one of the key factors when it comes to having the control of the self. It's being self-aware. That's why I'm so thankful for other people. They can come up to me and say, brother, you got to change your shirt. You howna right now. You got to, here's some deodorant. Here's some mouthwash. That's a good friend. Or maybe it's someone who's saying, you know, when you said that, that was kind of rough. Yeah, but, you know, they said this to me, so I had to bark back. Yeah, I know, but that was kind of rough. You got, you got to apologize. I ain't apologizing. Well, then talk to Jesus. See what Jesus says. You know, just throw that at them. But we, we, it's like we need each other. But why? Because we don't have self-awareness. We don't know what's going on. We need people close to us to actually help us to be self-aware. But more than just having other people, we need ourselves to be aware of self. See, we're, we're very strong in other awareness. Like me with someone talking out, I'm very aware of that. But I'm not aware of myself. So I need to turn that around. In fact, it was in the Garden of Gethsemane, before Jesus goes to the cross, where he pleads with the Father that, is there another way? Can, can there be another way? And in Matthew 26, verse 40, he, he returns to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he says this to them, couldn't you, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Of all people, he asked Peter. 
And then he says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In other words, the spirit is willing to do whatever God needs to be done in our lives. It's our flesh. But really what Jesus was saying at that moment is he went, now we got to remember, Jesus at that specific time had already washed the disciples' feet. And remember, he said, you are no longer servants, you are now my friends. It's at that moment where Jesus is at, at, the, at, the, at crunch time. It's, he's, he's battling with going to the cross. And he turns to his friends and they're sleeping. And he actually addresses them in that way. He says, Could, couldn't you keep watch with me for one hour? In other words, he was saying to his friends, don't, don't let me down now. This is when I need you the most. I want to ask you kind of a deep question, if we, if we haven't already. How many close friends do you have that at your worst moment, they would be there for you? And at the same time, how many friends do you have that you would be there for them at their worst moment? Now, some of you, instantly, you're saying, oh, I, I, I do have. Some of you may not. And it's not to point fingers at, oh, you don't have any friends. No, no. This is where the body of Christ comes in. See, if you have a bunch of friends, not just to help you with self-awareness, but they'll be there for you when you self-destruct because you don't have self-awareness. See, the fruit of the Spirit, self-control, it's not our spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And because of the fruit of the Spirit, when we have a group of people around us to help us with self-awareness, we learn together. That's what the Spirit does. John chapter 15, verses 12 to 15 Jesus says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one life, one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. In other words, Jesus reveals to us everything about his spirit. He doesn't keep anything away from us. Why? Because we're now his friends, no longer slaves. This is why relationship is so incredibly important, especially at this church. Our staff, that's number one. I say relationship is key. Our relationships is number one. Friendships, number one. Fruit of the spirit, number one. Self-control, number one. Why? Because we need each other. If Jesus calls us friends... Why couldn't we? If he calls us friends and we're the body of Christ, why couldn't we? That's the power of the Spirit. James 1.27 says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Now, yes, he gives the, the practicality of orphans and widows in their distress, but then he finishes off to keep oneself unstained by the world by the world. In other words, he's saying without spot. That the moment you see something on your life, you quickly clean it up. And once you're aware of something on yourself, you do something about it. It's tough to do if you lack self-awareness. But that's where the fruit of the Spirit comes in. In Romans 8, 28 through 39, 
It says, you may need others to help you, but unless you get revelation from the Lord, you stay spotted, stained. Then it continues, and it says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. There's that word again, the image or imagination, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Well, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God or the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor any else in all creation, anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It all starts with Jesus. It starts with Him. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Learn self-awareness. And as you do, because of the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord, you will never be separated from his love. That's, where, that's, where the, the, that's what the self needs. That's why we lack self-control. That's why we try to have more of self, because we want to be loved. And if no one loves us, we love ourselves. But when Jesus loves us, we don't need to. He loves us first. And because love casts out all fear, we don't have fear of rejection. We don't have fear of separation from God. Now we can take care of self. And we can control the self. Why? Because of the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You start with him. You start with Jesus. And it's because of his love that he laid down his life for you and I. And he made that decision for his friends so that with him we would have the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Because Jesus is above the law. He is the Spirit. That's why we need Him. And I pray that tonight, just learning about self-control would be something that you and I would be able to tackle even better because of Jesus. Amen? And close your Bibles and put it in your notes. You know, when Jesus says to lay down your life no, there's no greater love than one who would lay down his life for his, his friends, his brother. I, I, I tend to think of 
what can I do to, to help myself in having self-control and or control of the self and having Jesus because we have Jesus but being filled with the Spirit and then of course allowing God to do something great inside of us so that we can, we can follow His ways. And I thought, you know, when we leave here tonight, we're, we're going to get attacked from all kinds of different angles. And not necessarily from the devil himself, but from ourself. So when we pray tonight, as we close in prayer, let's do battle in our minds. Nothing super spiritual, just super practical. With God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a moment. And although I'll be leading in prayer, you can add in your own words and just include your thoughts, your prayers. And let's, let's imagine being at the throne of God. We call it the throne of grace. It's powerful. Grace is power. Heavenly Father, we just, we come before you tonight because we have a lot of self in us. And we forget that we need you first. So, Jesus, you are our mediator. And so we ask you to help us to connect with God. And God, you are the initiator. You, you help us to know what to think. So God, when it comes to self in us, in me, what do you think about me? Because I want to know what you think. And, and being here right now in your prayer, just listen for God's voice. What does God think? What does he think? Listen for his voice. And Jesus, you are the mediator. What, what do you have to say? What are you saying to us? What emotion are we supposed to be feeling? What are we supposed to be sensing right now, Lord. Because Jesus, you are the mediator. You relate to us. You came on this earth as a human being so that you could relate to us. So what are we feeling, Lord? What are we supposed to feel? Can you help us with our emotion? And Holy Spirit, what can we do for you? What can we do? And you're going to empower us to control the self. So we thank you. We pray these things to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we all said together, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.